Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Welcome to Trot's Life for your Wednesday edition. I'm getting anything back in my ears at the moment, which is uh, quite unusual. Normally uh, we would get some music as such, but... Send in a text, please, 0499 736 736. Let us know. You've got me uh, loud and clear uh, as we come live from the SEN studios. Big show today. Uh, it is, we go back in time today, and we are going to chat with Rob Malloy, a name that not many would know, Rob Malloy, but uh, he is the quintessential harness racing identity in the background. He's been involved in harness racing all his life. He was there on the opening night of Mooney Valley way back on October 30, 1976. He was working as a bookmaker and we will, uh, meet Rob on this show, I suppose, to many people. Uh, you would have seen him around. You just wouldn't have known. Uh, you probably had a bet with him and you probably wouldn't have known either. So we'll meet Rob and uh, go through that opening night, which was a famous occasion at Mooney Valley all those years ago. It's almost the anniversary of it. And I had a discussion with Rob at uh, some stage about, oh, geez, nine months ago. And we were talking about opening night at Mooney Valley. I can't remember exactly how it went, but I said, geez, it'll make a good show. And uh, he went home and he still, uh, he looked it up and said, yeah, it was, this was the date and he'd be happy to come on. So I've honoured that commitment to him from all those months ago. And it opened the door up to us talking to another man of the sport by the name of Brian Gath. So Brian will join us as well. He drove a double on that opening night. Of course he did. And times were so different then. Uh, Brian Gath, Ted Demois, Gordon Rothacker. Uh, there was no Gavin Lang. He hadn't started driving at that stage. It's hard to believe, isn't it, in a sense? But uh, the big names then, it was a different sport to what it is now. It was in the mainstream stream. It raced, uh, they raced on Saturday nights. It, it'll never be the same. I don't believe we'll ever go back to Mooney Valley. And in those late years, I don't care what anyone says, I was going to Mooney Valley from, from about 2000 on. And I, in my opinion... There was less people at Mooney Valley than there is at Melton on a Saturday night. The the crowds just weren't there in those late years. It was nothing to do with the location of being, you know, or, or Melton. Um, someone has messaged me. Yep, they're saying they can hear me. Thank you, Geraldine. Um, yeah, so nothing to do with the location. It's just the way of the world is today that uh, harness racing is not a mainstream sport. It's not going to be a mainstream sport. 
I know people harbour uh, desire to head back to Mooney Valley in some way, shape or form. Uh, personally, I'd love to see some grass track racing at Mooney Valley. Oh, we could run race meetings on the grass there. But I would question the spend of dollars to build another track at Mooney Valley worth, you know, those millions of dollars and what return that would have spending those millions of dollars on Mooney Valley. Would the return be there? If someone could make a case for that return, the, the crowd, will the crowds come back? Yes, they would come back for maybe the first meeting. Maybe there'd be a few extra at Mooney Valley for a Victoria Cup or a Hunter Cup. But I don't think it'd be double, triple, quadruple the crowds. People have memories of 25,000 there when Pro Chevalier won. Uh, big fella says, yep, we've got you now, Toby. Thanks, big fella. Uh, Stu said, all good. Some of the regulars. And I'm going to get to something, uh, Stu. So please uh, stay tuned, Stu. Uh, yeah, so we'd remember those memories of 25,000. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen if the trots are at Melton. It wouldn't happen if the trots are at Mooney Valley. It wouldn't happen if the trots are up the main, up the middle of the Eastern Freeway, although it could have this morning. It took me two hours to get here, but that's another story. So, yes, we go back in time and we relive a, a beautiful memory with Brian Gath and with Rob Malloy about the opening night at Mooney Valley all those years ago, back in 1976. So it'll be great to catch up with those two gentlemen. That'll make up the second hour, the first hour... Of some concern, I've lost my 11.15 guest. guest. Uh, he'd never said yes to it, actually. I, I had texted him and uh, he got back to me this morning and unfortunately he's not in a position to come on air, which is really troubling because he is a man who is situated in the flood zone. Uh, so I just, my, my thoughts go out to him uh, at the moment and to all those out there, um, we're wishing them all the best. Uh, for what they are tackling at the moment. And Marie Newbury, who bravely came on last week, and uh, we heard her situation. It got it got significantly worse for Marie and, and their family. The water uh, got up a bit higher. They had to move horses out. Uh, the Duffies and Harness Racing Victoria, Kimma Frenning, have been helping out there with Marie with feed, and, and she's got mares in foal and everything. And uh, those a lot of people will be following that journey along on social media. And, and I think... We thank Marie for what she's doing on social media. She She's opening up to us and showing us videos of her dog, etc., in a boat. And uh, we are thinking of her. It's hard. We, we Everyone would want to text her and see how she's going and ask her how she's going. And uh, we can't all do that because she'd be forever answering texts. So when she puts something out on social media, it feels like it's on behalf of many people. Uh, there's a few I, I'm in contact with regularly. Uh, Stacey Tower is another one. She's just up the road from Maria. They, they've pretty much, they've had no flood water there. So uh, thank God for that for Stacey. I went up to Swan Hill on Monday night and drove back and God, there's a lot of water around. There's, there's places I, I looked out and I said, geez, that's a beautiful lake. Look at that lake. She's a magnificent lake. Cause to get to Swan Hill from Melbourne, I had to go via Ballarat, St. Arnold and Donald and up. And there was roads I've never been on. And uh, I had a look at Google Maps. There was no lake there. It was a beautiful big lake with all trees around the edge of the lake. It, it's not a lake. Someone's paddock. There was a lot of that on the trip up and back to Swan Hill. And we do it all again on Friday. And and to those Mildura people, and uh, Aaron Code often listens to this show. And uh, it's well known. Um, good mates with Aaron. And 
there's some frustration for the Mildura trainers at having to go to Swan Hill as the track at Mildura is fine, but the facilities there have been affected. The judges' box and the building and the administration building, the stewards' room, all been affected. And to to uh, and Stu says just cut to the news. I don't know what that means. It shouldn't have cut to any news. Uh, no, nothing's playing here. So hopefully it hasn't cut to the news. Uh, to the Mildura crew, as we've got Bops uh, on the move as well, coming in. Something's going on behind the scenes here. There's a thumbs up from Nims, who's Nims Island has come in. He's had a rough night, Nims. Very rough night. Nims, he's a great man in the Bops crew, and uh, he's uh, he's of Sri Lankan uh, descent. And he's just putting on, oh, he's just going to come on air. Nims, we're going away from Trotsky. It's not Essien cricket, mate. We're not talking cricket for at least the next three hours. It's Trot's life. I oh, know. I oh, know. So keep, keep your cricket talk to a dull minimum, please. Go Australia. Thanks, Nims. <laughs> he's just yeah, one of the great men behind the scenes. There's a little bops crew here that uh, do wonderful work. They're the best people in the building. And they make up for the likes of blokes like A-Rod, who just battle. Uh, anyway, getting back to it, the crew at HRV, we've got to get the judges' box, race callers' box, and camp main camera position sorted as soon as we can. And I've been working on it this morning. Uh, HRV are working on it feverishly, trying to come up with a solution because we can't get into the building to put the, the camera. And the camera's pretty important. Going back to Swan Hill on uh, <laughs> the other night, I was there. I was working. There was a photo that was uh, very close, and it's gone up on Twitter since. There was a bit of a discussion on Twitter about maybe the wrong horse was declared the winner, but uh, the photo was categoric, and the photos we put up on the internet are not the quality, and you can't zoom in like we can zoom in, and uh, you don't quite get that clarity as such. Now, let's get our first breakaway. I did flick a text off to Ash Markham saying, could he come on at 11.15-ish? And he's just got back. This was only 20 minutes ago. Uh, he's come back and said, yeah, mate. So we'll take a break. We'll come back the other side, and Ash Markham will join us, and we'll have a little chat mostly about his runners at Swan Hill. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Welcome back to Trot's Life. And there's definitely some gremlins in this box, I'm telling you. We'll sort them out in the next uh, break, though. Uh, our guest, our first guest is going to be Ash Markham. He's very uh, generously taken this phone call on short notice. Ash, firstly, mate, uh, how are you and uh, whereabouts are you today? morning hobbling and galloping this morning very good mate now the floods uh have affected a lot of the state and there was certainly a uh, bit of an issue at charlton and uh, i'm not sure you're aware but there was a famous movie made called the dry up there and there's going to be a sequel now called the floods and joey thompson's <laughs> levy bank's going to be the basis of the whole movie and we've got george clooney's already agreed to play joey thompson and 
Uh, all sorts of people. Brad Pitt's going to play Mick Gadsden, according to Mick Gadsden. Uh, not sure who's going to play Ash Markham, but uh, tell us a little bit about your story. And I know you moved the horses away from the training centre, etc. So tell us a bit about how the floods affected your last few weeks. Yeah, um, not not terribly, but yeah, I sort of took real precaution early, um, sent them up to a couple of paddocks up on, on dry land and, and they got through... It wasn't the perfect preparation for for horses going to the trot sort of the, that week, but um, under circumstances we battled through and and got through the week and um, actually didn't really hurt them too much at all. So um, I come out pretty well and uh, yeah, we we got through last week's trot meeting and everyone seems pretty happy to be back in work. But but they all went really good, mate. I oh, know you threw them all out in a paddock and didn't see them for a couple of days. What happened? They went to Swan and they all raced really well. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, nothing like I uh, I would ever imagine that I like doing. And um, under circumstances, I was sort of was forced to hand early, and I sort of maybe I, I probably panicked a little bit because I didn't know what to expect or yep. anything like that. We don't have anything like this at home, and. Um, I just thought the best thing to do for um, sort of the horse's safety was to put them up on higher ground. And yeah. um, unfortunately, I put them out Friday and by Friday night, I couldn't get back to them. So, um, yeah, I had had a young girl looking after them for me, uh, comes and helps me during the week. And um, she looked after them and, and threw a couple of bit of feed and that, but they were just out on a 80-acre paddock. So it um, wasn't ideal um, sort of, I picked, I got back to the three at Swan Hill, I think about 11 o'clock um, Tuesday morning, and I had to put on four sets of shoes, uh, four <laughs> shoes on on three different horses because they they had lost them out of the paddock, and yeah, yeah, it was just a hell of an ordeal that day. So yeah, she wasn't real great, but uh, we got through. I think the community of Charlton just in Greater, and then the harness community within Charlton. I know, mate, you've settled in so well there and, you know, Ryan and Abby are both in Charlton as well. They're relatively new too, I suppose. But there's a real feeling amongst all the trainers there with Mick and Gadsden and, and of course, Greg Norman who fled to Adelaide during all this and, and Joey Thompson and the club and all the people involved there. It's a, If anything's going to happen like a disaster like the floods, to be in Charlton and have so much support around you, it's a pretty good place for it to happen too, if that makes sense. Yeah, if it's if it's going to go pear shaped, you want to have sort of good people around you, and um, you know, an experienced head. And and Joey sort of said to me uh, on the Friday, he said, "Oh, I think you're panicking, mate, but if if you feel better that way, he said that's probably the best thing you can do." And you know, he was right. And probably the long run, I did panic a bit, but um, yeah, I, I think guys like that that know um, what to expect and what's coming and and how to deal with it. You know, probably should have been a little bit wiser and listened to them. But, um, yeah, no, we got through. And, and like you say, a, a town like this, they sort of band together and mm. um, everyone pulls their weight. And I think we we were pretty lucky in the housing. We are up on the hill and um, it was great for kids. They were out in the street playing and, and there was kids everywhere. I'd never seen anything like it, you know. So um, got them all off the TVs and their, and their phones. And, yeah, yeah. no, it, for a disaster that was coming, it ended up um, being pretty good. Hey, mate, at Swan Hill, there's a horse in the first race, Magic Mateos. 
It interests me a bit, this horse, because I think he's a bit better than people give him credit for. He had a couple of runs here when you first came over, and they weren't quite right. I don't think they were right up to his level. And he, he's had a few runs back. He draws inside second row at Swan Hill. 16 to 1, they've marked him on harness.org. I reckon that's a bit of value. Uh, I would rather have him drawn 10 than, than inside, but um, he, he's a very frustrating horse. He's got a, a ton of ability, and yeah. Um, yeah, if he got the right run, and, and um, it'd just demolish horses like this, but um, trying to catch him and trying to keep him right has been really hard. I've been a lot happier with him this time in. He, he had a good spell. I think I probably might have cooked him when I got here, the travel, and sort of a couple of races first up. They sort of went week to week and might have just been too much for him. He's, he's a big horse and um, he dropped off, you know, a little bit and I decided we, um, we'll we give him a good spell. Um, he's done really well out there and um, nice, long, slow prep and he's he's holding his weight really good and he, he's actually starting to look like a really nice horse again. So uh, fingers crossed he, he puts it on the track because he's not far off, off putting it all together, I don't think. What what's the issue with the second inside second row? Could he get over racing if he's sort of jammed up on the inside? Is that an issue? Uh, I think he's a big scaredy cat. He's a big horse and he's a bit he's a bit of a scaredy cat. He done, but Ryan drove him up the fence the other week. Uh, first after, he's a little bit braver than me, old Rhino, I think. But um, I just didn't like. It. He, he galloped a couple of times back home off the from the barrier one when horses got around him, but mm. um, the bigger track over here sort of definitely helped him. And and Ryan seems to have no fear about what's going to go wrong. So um, he'll be getting a slap on the rump and, and chasing through. It's, it's probably not a bad draw in the end, but um, if the one can hold up, which sort of I had a quick look and thought it possibly could do. But, um, yeah, I mean, just with racing luck, he, he, um, he should be very close to the finish. Riverina flashes ADM, so it was always going to draw outside of the second row. It's a big field. There's 12 in it at the moment. I don't think we'll see four horse, a four-horse field like we did a few of the races late the other night, mate, for this one. But you wouldn't mind if it was a four-horse field because I would have thought if you were close enough, you're certainly good enough. You just, just can't strike it for a win with this horse. Yeah, no, he's been another one that's probably been a little bit frustrating that He's uh, so close, but feels like he's so far. You know, he's done a couple of good placings and he was always there about. And even this time in, he probably hasn't quite hit his straps yet. But um, um, his last run, he was he was, he was was one that sort of suffered from uh, going out the paddock. He needs, needs to be sort of worked pretty hard and he sort of missed a good gallop. And that probably didn't help him going the last week. But um, since his race, we haven't missed him and he's actually really brightened up. So... Um, yeah. Yeah, Rhino's got him ODM and then jumped off, so that's nice and handy. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but that's all good. I think if we can uh, get to the fence and, and get some sort of luck, he'll, he'll be hitting the line for sure. It's, when it's a long journey. It will help him too. This is the Ryan Sanderson Appreciation Show today. Now, the big question I want to ask you, that when you work, you work at uh, Swan Hill, when you're working there, have you had a look at where the mile marker is in relation to the bend? Um, yeah, relatively, yeah, I've been out there. I've had a pretty good look, yeah. Why is that? Well, the Swan Hill Mile is over the genuine mile. Now, 
it's a very short run to that first bend. And what you want in a race like this, it's notorious that it's a great advantage to be drawn barriers one or two. So you've got Sammy's ideal in gate one and Bud Seinwinder <laughs> in gate two. Ryan and Abby Sanderson taking a steer each, which means there'll certainly be no friend, no love lost between the two stablemates drivers. That is for sure. Nah, nah. I think um, Abby's already been in his ear, so that's good. We'll um, make sure he's on the seat. I think Sammy's ideal might be might be too quick out the gate for Bud Sidewinder, and um, Ryan's been chirpy. He was chirpy yesterday afternoon, and and he sort of sprung up again this morning on the jog track. So he's, um, I don't think she'll be getting the top, Abby. And uh, I think Ryan <laughs> thinks he can lead and win. So um, that's that's his game plan. On, and, and from the sound of it, I'm not going to be able to talk him out of it. So um, no, he's he's very confident on his last run that um, the way he went and the way he hit the line that he'd be pretty hard to beat in that. Oh, that's good. Fourteen dollars looks uh, good value too, mate. That's uh, great info and. Uh, there's no doubt Ryan will be tried his absolute best, more than usual to beat Abby. And in the last, mate, La Kalingle, who's had the two starts for an eighth and a sixth. And uh, it's a race. It's an in- intriguing little race, only a small field. But tell us a little bit about La Kalingle. Yeah, she come to me. She had a, quite a few issues and um, took a long time to get it right. And I think we're sort of... It's more an education sort of process at the moment and we're getting there um, sort of through in the deep end. She'd had one quite soft trial and uh, we uh, I'm still getting used to the nomination system here and I'd nominated for Swan Hill and then Charlton. I thought, oh, they'd give me a start in one and, and that'd be great. And they put us in both times, so <laughs> she went around twice in two days. So yeah. um, she sort of had four days in the paddock and then two days at the trot, so... Poor little sweetheart. She, um, but she bounced back really well and uh, handled both occasions really well. So I was, I was really wrapped for her. And um, yeah, she's definitely improved from them two runs, which you'd sort of expect. And um, yeah, if, if she, well, she should finish in the money. I think we've only got to beat one home to get there. But um, yeah, she's definitely a horse on the improve and um, sort of a sectional showed that she's not far off. Um, probably winning a race the way she's, you know, her times although. Um, numerically it doesn't look great, but at times probably aren't too bad, you know, for a young filly on the way up. Yeah, well, there's there's no textbook on how to do this, mate. There's no right or wrong with training, and that's what we've learned. I've learned this over the last two and a half years of doing this show. There is no right or wrong. I've had all sorts of people with all sorts of different ways and tracks and people running around a rectangle track, people working in olive groves, people working twice a day, once a day, three times a week, whatever it is. There's no textbook. So uh, over the last few weeks, things have been thrown up yep. in the air a bit for you, but I don't think that matters one way or another, mate. Uh, we've got to get to some 11.30 news. Thanks so much for coming on on such short notice, and uh, I'll see you out there on uh, Friday night at uh, Swan Hill. Uh, excellent. Thanks for that, mate. Appreciate it. There is Ash Markham. Uh, Came over from WA in January this year and he's uh, making the most of it and uh, does a wonderful job with his horses as well and he's in a great place to uh, train them too. There's so many tracks nearby and Mildura being just up the road. 
Uh, Stu says, you are back again, but we missed the leading. In the early 80s, we had a lot of fun heading out to the Valley Trots Friday nights. Lots of beers at the track and afterwards. Football the next day. Rob was always well-groomed. Could have been in an ad with footballers for suits. Cheers, Stu. Yeah, Rob Malloy, uh, he's quite a thorough-looking gentleman. Would be a great description of him. And Stu, I had planned in that 15 minutes to answer your question off the text, the personal text. Uh, we're going to have to hold that over to maybe next week, and that'll be talking about uh, the handicapping system and how it works. Let's get to the 11.30 news, and off the back of that, of well, I haven't clipped up. Will, the great producer here, has clipped up uh, Darren Carroll with Gareth Hall uh, from Giddy Up this morning, so no need to get uh, Darren on twice to give the same tips. So we'll we'll just recap on Darren Carroll with Gareth Hall on the other side of this break. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Very busy week, Gareth. Uh, 105 races across 10 meetings. Uh, I couldn't remember it, so I went out and uh, thought whether I was imagining things or not. But apparently since 2003, the most races in a week. So staggering and uh, plenty of form to be done, Gareth. Yeah, that's interesting, which is great for the sport, which more races means more turnover. So, um, yeah, I think HRV and the team should be proud with the amount of races they're putting on at the moment. But we need to find a couple of winners. We'll start with the Melton meeting, Daz. Yeah, a couple of, couple of Meltons. Um, bit of an unfashionable one to start with. I, I like race three, number four, Perseverance. Um, this is not a strong race because it's a $4,500, like a bottom-up top trot. Um but this one really took my eye last day. It did work. Um, outside the leader, hit the front and was only run down in the last sort of 100 metres of the race. Uh, I think this is a weaker field. Um, I think it'll get out in the market, so don't be betting too early because it's just one of those kind of horses that won't have you know, the popularity of some of the others in the market. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's found a really suitable race, so I'm really keen on Race three, number four, Perseverance. And I think we'll get out about five or six dollars in the end. So that's the start for the day. And the other one I like at Melton is race 11, number eight, Princess Chiller. Um, pretty simple scenario here. Ben Yole has two horses in the race. Um, one is um, one of his. It's on the pole. It's a dead set leader. Um, and it will take Princess Chiller all the way to the sprint lane. And I think that we'll get up the lane and, and win. So... That's a simple scenario, and Jack Law and Princess Chiller is a, a good a good uh, driver to follow up here. And at Shepparton tonight, mate? Um, Shep, just the one at Shep, uh, race six, number five, life in the balance. I took this one a couple of starts ago and it got the money for us. This horse is absolutely flying. Um, I'm not expecting it just to buzz across and leave, but if it happened to find the front early, it would just win. Um, I think it'll probably settle just off the speed, but it can push forward. Um, it is just in career best form at the moment, and I want to be on a horse that's in form. So race six, number five, life in the balance. Love your work, mate. We'll discuss that Melton, yeah, that Melton meeting tomorrow with you. But Melton race three, number four, the, the Melton meeting on Saturday night, I mean. Melton race three, number four today, race yep. 11, number eight, and race six, number five at Shepparton. Good on you, Daz. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Welcome back. It is Trot's Life with the Wombat. Now, Garrick, 
night is there. Garrick, uh, which intro do you want, mate? Do you want Valvoline Man or do you want Frank Walker? Well, I certainly don't want Frank Walker, I'll be honest. Um, kind of kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies, actually. So, you know, let's go Valvoline Man, please. That's my personal face. Horses that race in New Zealand, he knows. When they have their first start in Australia, he tells us. What his thoughts on Frank Walker are? Well, who knows? Nightexports at gmail.com. Garrick R. Knight on Twitter. Frank Walker says hello. Garrick, how are you, mate? I'm goodly, thank you, Valvoline man. <laughs> Just another day at the office here. Mid- middle of the week, middle of the day. I know whenever you ring me, it's it's the centre point of my working week. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm always happier when I've hung up from you because it means I'm on the back half of the week. So, so does that mean I'm at the at the top of the peak, or am I heading down the other side? Which one? You're carefully navigating me from the top <laughs> on those first treacherous slopes towards the weekend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You... you usually. Yeah. Actually, I tell you what. If you rang me on Monday, I'd be horrible. Listening. I'd be like a bear with a sore head. But if we did this on a Friday afternoon, mate, it would be I'd be ecstatic. It'd be great, great uh, viewership numbers, I reckon. Really? Wow. Maybe. <laughs> well, <laughs> careful. If, careful. If I'm on a Friday, I'm thinking about going to the I'm thinking about going to the pub or the races. So I'm very happy. About now it. that's a lie. This time on a Friday, you are not thinking about it. You are at it, from what I've heard. <laughs> now, yeah, no, nah, your sauce is always impeccable. When you are at the pub and you, you've uh, horse has just won for you, do you ever say, "Hey, go you good thing"? Yeah, about one in twelve. <laughs> uh, knowing my luck, um, yeah, another good segue and an obvious one. Uh, go you good thing. I think he's in with it, Shepparton tonight. Um, is it tonight? Ten by seven, race uh, ten, number yeah, seven. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Frank Rinaldi, Perth agent, um, any of the horsemen out, and women out there who are listening will be familiar with Frank, mainly sells from Australia to America. Um, he gets sources the occasional one from New Zealand, and this is the case. Stepped out for Amber Hoffman uh, a few months back here. It was very impressive, actually. Went out second fave off the back of some good trials and showed nice gate speed. Took a sit on the foot race favourite. And um, it was too good up the lane. Beat it. Won nicely. Going away. So, looked to be a good mover. Um, Ticked the boxes. And, yeah, I would be very curious to see how it goes fresh up for Brent Lilly tonight. Who I draw and all, but doesn't look a strong field on paper. So, yeah. I think uh, definitely one to, to um, put our hard-earned on tonight and um, keep a close eye on going forward. Now, there's a couple of first starters on Friday and uh, in our pre-meeting, which is a 30, 30 seconds uh, before you come on air, we established uh, Baltic Spirit, our race two, number two at Maryborough Horse, bred basically by Brosnan, so uh, came over here unnamed. But Swan Hill, race 10, number two, Rubio, a horse for Tony Calabria. Calabria. Uh, they've brought plenty of horses over from New Zealand and they generally go pretty well. So just off the back of that, I'd expect that Rubio's got some ability, Garrick. Um, yes and no. 
well, it may well, might might surprise me. I watched this trial. Um, I think there was a link here with Tony and this horse's former trainer, Katie Cox. He brought one off her previously. Name escapes me, but it's done an okay job over there from. Um, and I guess this is a case of going back to the well. Um, this horse qualified in a two-horse heat. Very underwhelming, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Um, fell, fell in um, after walking up the stage almost. But he showed gate speed, both that and in other trials. And he looked like a nice mover. So hopefully with a spell, um, change of scenery, freshen up, strengthening. It might surprise me tonight, but I certainly wasn't enamoured with what I saw um, on those trials. So, yeah, I expect he'll go forward. He showed me there that he can run, run the gate anyway. Drawn two. I think he'll find the markers. I'll be curious to see how he goes. I certainly wouldn't be piling into him. Maybe a wait-and-see situation for us this week. It, was it uh, Rockin' at the Park, that other horse? No, no. Um, if you say it, I'll, I'll remember it. I've actually, um, I have talked to Tony um, a couple of times and he had mentioned that he kept uh, close contact with Katie for our horses coming up, that she might have coming up for sale and obviously this is one that he liked. So, Brooke, yeah. Um, Brookfield. Hey, Brooke, horseman, so he'll get the best out of it, no doubt. Cyclone S. Adams, Brookfield, Ruler, Main Artery, Valley of Terror, Mustang, Harry, Potro, Giuseppe Moon, Sophisticated Franco. Boom, drawing a blank. Mustang Harry, maybe? Is that a Kiwi horse? I don't know. There is a connection there anyway, but I digress. Um, yeah, so look, short answer is, I think anyone who watched those two work, those two trials, which were off the back of three or four workouts, um, yeah, you'd be going, eh, do I really want to put 50 each way on this horse? No, maybe I'll just put 10 a place and, and see how he goes this week. Very good. Small field, only two dividends. So be careful with your place because it'll probably run third, as happens to me uh, in the past when I used to bet a lot. <laughs> now, Queen of the Pacific, uh, we spoke about Brave You, Kelly, some time ago, and you said to me you thought maybe in its first eight starts in Australia to probably win about six and run a couple of seconds. So you're pretty much on the money there. Uh, it's drawn gate five, should come in at gate four. Tell us a bit about your thoughts on Brave You, Kelly, Jack Trainer, Anthony Butt. He's going to look after the horse. He told uh, Gareth, uh, Gareth Hall on Giddy Up uh, yesterday that uh, the horse is coming down to Anthony for a few days, and Anthony said she's that good. He's going to keep her in the lounge room, not in a stable. Uh, there's some... Could she, <laughs> could she be good enough to beat Ladies in Red if she got to the top relatively cheaply? Horse with huge speed has come to know in the last couple of months since she debuted. Um, yeah, I guess she's she's up against um, what most astute judges will tell you is a champion mare. Um, you know, though she was only beaten, she was beaten only two starts ago, so she is um, fallible. And yeah, I mean, Melton is a track I've found that. Um, I think most people find if you can find the markers and you've got speed, you're, you're a distinct advantage, aren't you? So um, I can see David Moran having to get on his wheels fairly early and maybe sitting outside Brave Kelly, and that'll be an interesting match race, won't it? I mean, 
if they're having a duel down the straight, we're in for um, exciting viewing. I think, she, yeah, those it's going to be a, a good one. She had a gut buster last week, ladies in red. Like she was all out with two hundred to go. I was there in the judges' box. She was all out, mate, and lifted off the canvas. And the modern day, our horses don't generally back up seven days later off a run like that. If she backs this up, goes around to the chair, sits outside them and beats them again, it is almost next level, if you ask me. Yeah, it was a huge one. Uh, as oh. you say, backing up, short turnaround. Um, she's obviously, um, I don't care what horse you are, how good you are, yeah. um, it's never ideal to have a gut buster and back up seven days later. Um, oh, look, that was a nice field. Obviously, Tough Tilly and Treachery were in there. No Treachery this week, but we do have Bayou Kelly jumping in. So a different type of, um, well, actually, I guess it's a similar type of challenge for Ladies in Red. Um, but yeah, Bravey Kelly, as I said when we first spoke about her, her best asset is her blinding speed, and that's going to put her in the box seat, especially with someone like Anthony Butt, who we know can be an aggressive and tactically sound reinsman when the big money is up. I'll give you one horse you can have for the New Zealand Cup right now. Who would you have, mate? Oh, dear. Mm, I can hear question. I can hear cogs grinding in your head. Honestly, and this is not because of the audience right now. Yeah. I think rock and roll do. Yeah. I, the run the run on Monday was super. I just I watched it again this morning. Um, you know, he's missed away, gone around the park. Okay, they didn't they were fairly sedate the first half of that mile. Um, but he still run home in, I don't know, 55-4 and 26-7. It was an off-track. First time um, at that track, first time racing in New Zealand, standing start. You know, there's lots of picks against him, and I think you, I, like most people, watched some of the Michael Stanley interviews and videos leading up to the, the race, and yeah. he mentioned a couple of times the horse had, when I say missed work, you know, by design and um, necessity through the travel and things. And possibly you've got to feel like he was probably only at 85% for that run maybe um, on Monday and to be finishing only two links from them at the finish after sitting parked. Beatty Joe's a very, very good horse. So, yeah, ticked a lot of boxes. The only question is going to be, there's two big ones, of course, where's he going to draw? And can Mr. Stanley work his magic and yeah. get him flying those tapes because it's going to be crucial. If he wins it, it's going to be one of the great modern-day training efforts. Seriously. Yeah, it would be right up there for sure. Um, he only qualified from a standing start. At what, <laughs> was it at Menangle? No, it was Majestic Cruise I was watching. Sorry. Um, whenever he qualified from a stand, it wasn't that, can't have been that long ago. Um, yeah. No, you're right. It's we we are accustomed to Australians in the big race, so I mean, um, Kieran Manning with Arden Rooney, and Gene Feast would copy that. Uh, sorry, with Surface Stewart, Merv would copy that. Um, yeah, the Aussies just keep coming, taking our, our money every every year, so um, we are attuned to it. Um, but yeah, it, with, it's a bit different this year with Michael training and driving the horse and coming over with him. So yeah, I think. A uh, few guys I was talking to the other day, we sort of agreed the most exciting and intriguing cup here for a number of years. You know, there's no clear standout. I think on the mm. yellow market mm. this morning, copy that, 
Copy that and rock and roll. Even favourites at four sixty, unheard of. Yeah, you yeah. know, two weeks out from a cup here. Um, I mean, you think a week ago, Copy had had question marks over his head because of you know he had really? that minor bleed in Victoria. Then he had the unlucky fourth in the Vic Cup. Um, then he's come out and won off fifty five metres and did it easily. And he's in again on Friday night um, off seventy metres at Cambridge. <laughs> I spoke to Ray Green last night about him and. I said, what do you make of this unusual preparation racing off 70 metres at Cambridge 12 days before New Zealand Cup? I said, yeah, well, last year I gave him a trial at Pukakali the last race before the Cup and we won. So I'll back my judgment and he, he thinks he's the horse to beat. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an exciting race. self assured has got a question mark over him, I think. Just not quite at his peak. The other thing that Rock and Roll do, I'll say as well, is this. He sat parked, and throughout the day we saw a trend where a lot of good horses that sat parked lost a lot of ground down the straight. High Grove, which was a dollar eighty favourite, three old trot. He couldn't go with them. Darling Me, dollar thirty shot. Mm. She she uh, she couldn't win from park. A couple of others as well. It was not a good place to be on the day. So for him to to dig deep, and two links from them on that sharp sprint home, very very big effort. 30 seconds, mate. We've got to go to a break, but in of all the things yeah, you've ever... Still your question. Rock and roll, Duke. Uh, of all the things you've ever said, a bloodstock agent from New Zealand has just said, Australians uh, keep taking your cash. Uh, we'll get some feedback over the week on that, I would imagine. <laughs> Gareth, Gareth, thank you very much, mate. I'll chat to you next week. <laughs> Welcome to Wednesdays with Wombat with your host, Toby McKinnon. ...at Mooney Valley way back on the 30th of October in 1976 is Rob Malloy. Firstly, Rob, uh, welcome. Thank you to the show. And uh, whereabouts are you? And uh, how are you today, mate? Um... Thanks for having me, Toby. I'm uh, residing out at Warrandyte and uh, just uh, just nice nice to uh, spend a few minutes chatting with you. Hundred percent, mate. And uh, you're a man that's been involved in harness racing for a very, very, very long time. And uh, you walked a similar path, probably to Bill Hutchison in many ways. Except you did it without all the uh, all the media and the accolades, etc. Would that be fair to say? Here's your chance to pot him. Or we'll get a pot away early here. No, no, I, um, you're quite right in what you say. Um, probably my best friend in life is um, Bill's younger brother, Ian, who is the same age as me. And um, by the fact that I used to uh, be around at the Hutchison household, I got to know Bill very well, and we found that we had a, a common interest in harness racing and uh, subsequently our great friendship formed at that time as well. So where, where did that interest in harness racing kick off for you? Um, Mum and Dad took me to the Royal Melbourne show on a Saturday um, yeah. and I would suggest that I was very young. Yeah. And we were we stood on for the evening session and I actually saw harness racing at the showgrounds at the Royal Melbourne show under lights and just absolutely uh, fell in love with it and just wanted to be there every week from then on. And um, one, of, one of our neighbours was a punter who um, we, we didn't own a motor car and they did. And they, um, 
he 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 would take me to the showgrounds trots with his son, who was also a good mate of mine, and subsequently uh, I was a regular at a young age out at the showgrounds. Yeah, okay. So that at some point you've got to, let's say, 18, 19, 20, and did you have a desire to be involved in the sport in some way? Um, always always um, enjoyed the gambling side of it, yeah. um, but I probably started going to the uh, the trots on a regular basis with, with my neighbour when I was probably about, I'm thinking, around about 12 years of age. Yeah. And um, we, 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 we had a bookmaker in the ledger section who would accept two shillings each way. Yeah. Um, and we actually found that we could win. We, we, we found that we could win and that, that over time um, probably was the, the the start of thinking about taking out a bookmaker's licence as we got older. Yeah, okay. So you take... Um, uh, Bill... Bill um, Keep going. Yeah, Bill, Bill, Bill and I both, um, I think from memory, both took out bookmaker's licences in 1972. All right. So you've taken out the bookmaker's so, um, licence. And, and it wasn't uncommon back then. You took out the bookmaker's license, yeah. and then um, and, um, and and then nearly went broke. Um, back in those days, and no one could explain why, but you weren't allowed to work at any harness racing meetings until you worked at the Gallops meetings for three months. And um, I think I had no uh, ability at assessing form at the Gallops, and uh, was very very close to. Uh, going broke before I got started. I, it just was loss after loss, and um, it finally turned around, which was uh, pretty pretty happy news. So the three months at the Gallops, and then could you get in at the showgrounds, and were you fielding at the showgrounds from 72 to 76? It, it took a while to get into the showgrounds. I, I probably um, didn't break into the, the showgrounds, the outer showgrounds rings, of course, probably until around about, um, 74 or seven, may even have been um, early 75. So I, I had a couple of years at the showgrounds, working at the showgrounds, and it, the, it, the showgrounds had a, a fantastic feel to them. It was like a, like a night out at a, a, a carnival, actually. Mm. And the crowds, the crowds um, had dropped away at that point um, somewhat, and the amenities out in the ledger area had, had uh, unfortunately um, gone down in their condition. Um, so, so everybody at that time was was just waiting for the Mooney Valley track to open. Um, it, it was it was with a lot of anticipation that that we waited until that uh, night on the 30th of October, '76. Um, there'd been a huge build-up. The, the the press had been um, very, very much um, focused on Mooney Valley starting up, and on that on that first night, it really was a fantastic atmosphere. Um, it was it was everything that people had thought Mooney Valley would be. So so for how long was it in the wings for? Were they talking about it for five years and then built it, or? 
did it come out of the blue and they just said, oh, we're going to build Mooney Valley and nine months later you were there or was it a couple of years in the making? How long was there talk about going to Mooney Valley? Uh, look, I, I can't remember how long uh, the, the, the talk was about, about going to Mooney Valley. But one thing to remember is that back, back in, say, 75, 76, Harness racing, or the trots, as it was definitely referred to then, mm. was was a mainstream sport. Mm. It, it got enormous coverage in the newspapers. Um, even the, the Monday meetings at Cranbourne, Kilmore, Storm, etc., they, they would get uh, a page and a half in the Herald Sun on the uh, the next morning. The Monday meetings would get a page and a half in the Herald Sun on the Tuesday. It, it really was a mainstream sport, and everybody knew the names of the the drivers, trainers, horses, etc. at that time. So the the move when, um, yeah, so the move when, when yeah, okay. Mooney Valley first opened. Well, I was going to say when when Mooney Valley first opened, um, when when Mooney Valley races were held at, uh, at were on a, on a Saturday afternoon, the, the trots for a period of time were still run at the showgrounds. Um, on those particular nights. So probably um, once a month, the, the harness racing and the trots would return to the showgrounds. That, that, of course, changed after a while and there was double-header meetings where the Mooney Valley races would be held in the afternoon and the trots at night. So was there more people going then to Mooney Valley and, and in those, you know, compared to the showgrounds, was it seemed to be a bit, you know, going back in time then straight away and the showgrounds were old and, and a bit yeah. tired? Yeah. Correct, correct. That was, that was the public attitude. Um, my, my guess um, is that, at the show at the showgrounds prior in the period prior to moving to Mooney Valley, the, the crowds might have been um, down to mind you down to about <laughs> six thousand were going to the showgrounds. Um, then back in, in previous years, the showgrounds would be um, packed with twenty thousand plus people every night. Um, the, the first night crowd at Mooney Valley. Once again, I, I don't know what the figure was, but I'm, I'm thinking that it would have been in excess of 25,000 on that night. It, it, it really was a, um, a rejuvenation of harness racing the, the first night at Mooney Valley. Um, my, my memory is that it was a, a fine night weather-wise. Um, it, it, the racing was fantastic. And... Um, for for the bookmakers of which I was one of them, mm. amazingly, when you see, when you look at the harness racing meetings now, there was ninety eight bookmakers worked at Mooney Valley on the first night, um, all on all on ground level. There was no no bookmakers up in the grandstand on the first floor, wow. and out of the ninety eight bookmakers that worked at Mooney Valley at that first meeting, twenty one of them actually operated up on the North Hill. Um, where the home turn is in a, in an out yeah. in an outside enclosure where the admittance price was um, much lower than going into the main area, but they 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 catered for the punters there with twenty one bookmakers in that area. Yeah, so it's 
for someone like I me, actually um, for, for some, spent my yeah. first night at bookmaking at Mooney Valley, the inaugural night. Okay. I was just, just, just. Be, uh, I was going to say, I, I actually operated as part of the the main paddock ring, but because of the expected crowd and um, uh, which did eventuate, I actually worked as one of the five bookmakers in the saddling area. They felt that it was necessary to have bookmakers up there. Yeah. At different times. At different time. I'm tipping you didn't have um, losing bet specials and all sorts of things like that back in the day and you weren't worried about your app going down or anything like that. <laughs> no, there, there was, there, there was of course, no corporate bookmakers. And that, and that was part of the attraction for people to be going to the um, to the gambling sports um, because part of the entertainment was between races, standing in the betting ring and watching the bookmakers operate and watching the price fluctuations. Mm. Now, if if a horse was going to be backed by the connections or or um, or basically by anybody at that time, it had to be backed on track, either at the showgrounds or when we moved to Mooney Valley at Mooney Valley. So there, there was big fluctuations in betting because of the amounts of money that might be put placed on one horse. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be done in a, a clinical way like the, um, the corporate bookmaking is nowadays. It, it was live on track and people would be running right, left and centre to get the best price. It, it was... It was a, a full night's entertainment, actually, um, and and the betting, the the twenty minutes betting on the on the next race was something that was observed by nearly all the public that went. Rob, were you were you cognizant of a different a change in the style of racing? Like it was a new, bigger track, Mooney Valley. It was eight hundred meters, and the showgrounds was obviously smaller and tighter, and 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 I would assume more leader bias. Were you cognizant? just doing your form and setting your markets even that the track will play different differently to what the showgrounds was? And was that part of the reason for the move as well, to get a bigger track and more even racing? Oh, undoubtedly. Um, everyone everyone was um, looking forward with anticipation that first night and one of the reasons was to see, to see how the racing would be. But we all knew that it was going to be a more attractive um, attractive racing style for the sport because there was going to be less falls. The, the yeah. track being bigger was going to produce better racing. And it, and it certainly did. I, I remember the first race, first race, um, uh, nearly everybody that was there still remembers that it was it was won by Super Tempest, uh, Huey Jardine. Now, because the, 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 uh, at that time, was was the early it was early stages of the races being run in um, metrics that we the first race was a <clears throat> excuse me a qualifying stakes um, over two thousand meters mm. and the kilometer rate recorded was one seventeen point three and I'd forgotten that we actually that we actually had the um, that the the um, the time rates were for a while. Um, in in um, the metrics, and I, I actually multiplied it out, and that that race was one in a mile rate of two four point three. Yeah. Now at the time, 
we thought that that was unbelievably quick. I remember we, yeah. we thought, my goodness, track super tempest run two four point three. But of course, as time went on, the times came down so quickly. And any other highlights from the and track? And the first night, the, yeah, the racing was just was was of a high quality. Any other highlights you remember from that night? Yeah. I think there's yeah, one. I, I, I remember that um, Touch Merchant won the free-for-all trot. Yeah, well, Touch Merchant won the free-for-all trot, and Touch Merchant was a very, very good horse. But the um, the main event was a, a free-for-all. And when I look at the, the result of that free-for-all, the winner was Mark Avina, yeah. great horse. yeah. But the placings were second was pale face Adios and third pure steel, oh, wow. and, and others in others in the race were Don't Retreat, Roma Hanover, Alpha Light, Wilbur Post, Koala King, and Mys Army. It, it was just a, a who's who of Australian harness racing at the time, um, and the majority of those horses I've mentioned were great horses. So it it really had a a main event on that first night. Uh, to to attract that big crowd that it got, um, and Brian Gaff, of course, was the uh, trainer driver of Markovina, um, and Brian won a, a lot of races at that time. Other winners on the night I see were it was a showcase of um, who's who in the sport because there was um, Sir Ahmad with Gordon Rothiker, Purple yeah. Para with Ray Long, Lofty Way Noel Shin. Sammy Carabiner, Ron Peace, and, and Brian Gatlin, the last race, with James Armar to complete a double. And and I guess the only the only name missing there, uh, well, a couple of names missing there that might have completed the, the who's who would have been um, Ted Demler didn't have a winner on the first night and Don Dove didn't have a winner on the first night. And they were, they were household names as well at the time. Rob, what about... Just in more general regards, mate, the best horse you've ever seen in, in your life uh, over a long period of time. And I've got a funny feeling I know who it's going to be and it might lead to the next question as well. Well, yeah, well, my, my <coughs> excuse me, my Brownlow votes for best horses that I've seen yeah, yeah. are very, very easy. Three votes to Mary's Idol. Yeah. Two votes to Popular Arm and one vote to Approach of Valley. Now, I might be living in the past, um, maybe I am, but they, they undoubtedly are the greatest horses I've seen. Um, maybe people who are of my, my um, age go back and, and don't see the, the horses now being um, as good. And I think one of the reasons is that the, the atmosphere that was there mm. when the great horses of the past were competing doesn't seem to uh, be replicated on a regular basis nowadays. Yeah. But, uh, but they're, they're, they're my three best horses. Mary's Idol was just a phenomenal trotter. And um, the very fact that, that the very fact that he would be racing at Mooney Valley would get extra people through the door. And the same with uh, with Poppy. Poppy had Poppy had a real charisma about him. Not not that Pro Chevalier didn't. It's funny for me and a lot of people, you look back at Mooney Valley and you've got such a connection to Mooney Valley. It must be in your blood almost because, you know, Mary's Idol, 
Inter-Dominion was so famous that year in 1978, I think it was, the Inter-Dominion, Mark Avina and Mary's Idol. Uh, then Popular Arm was synonymous with Mooney Valley in that early to mid-80s. I was just I was just in nappies at that stage. And then, of course, Pro Chevalier won at the biggest crowd Mooney Valley has ever drawn. And over coming weeks, we're, we're going to go back and look at some of those nights. And the Pro Chevalier night, I'm, I'm going to do a whole show on it. Some of those highlights of of your of going to events in your life must be some of those very moments at Mooney Valley and and for so many years you you just must see it feel so connected to the place. Yeah, it, it was really disappointing at the end of Mooney Valley, where the crowds had dropped away, mm. um, and we have to remember that prior prior to harness racing moving to Melbourne, Mooney Valley wasn't drawing big crowds. Um, for for whatever reason, um, and I know that um, the the administrators at the time um, were were really up against it because the the contract that had been put in place with the Mooney Valley Racing Club really was strangling to harness racing financially, and the sport really had to move. is um, is something that that was a pity, but it was the truth. And uh, subsequently, now we race at Melton. Um, once again, maybe I'm, I'm old school, but I really feel that uh, a track within the metropolitan area would have um, would have kept harness racing in the mainstream sporting uh, sphere um, a lot longer than um, that it seemed to have been. That they they were they were heady days, the uh, the days at Mooney Valley. That's for sure. Um. I'm I'm envious of it, Rob. I would have loved to have been born in your era. Maybe uh, not when I look at the age, but I'm pretty happy being 41. As, but I would have loved to have come through that era, era, and I would have loved to have been a part of all those nights at Mooney Valley and been to the showgrounds. I went to the showgrounds. They still raced at the showgrounds during the Royal Melbourne Show uh, up until the 90s, and I went there and watched a few races, but it had nothing like what the atmosphere would have been in those uh, those 60s and 70s. And uh, I, I can say I'm bloody envious of what you've been able to experience throughout the time. Would have loved to have seen Mary's Idol. Would have loved to have seen Pro Chevalier. Would have loved to have seen Popular Arm. I, well, I did see Popular Arm and Pro Chevalier, but I don't remember it. I was less than five years of age. Mate, I, I, one more question before we go. Uh, you're still involved in harness racing. You've got a real love for the trotter these days. And... Uh, off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure you got a share in a horse called Scooting Around, who's done a pretty good job for you. Uh, correct. Yep. We, uh, um, I've, I've still got a share in Scooting Around. Um, over recent years, the best horse that I've had, a, had a, that I've had a share in was Cruising Around, yep. um, and he he brought uh, great uh, great joy to us actually with his performances up at uh, up at Melton. Uh, he was a he was a terrific horse, and um, we. We didn't want to um, keep him going and his performances just be run of the mill, so we uh, we retired him, and um, we're we're happy we did because uh, he's had a, a fruitful time afterwards. Um, I, thanks for having us along, Toby, and I I believe you're going to have a chat with Brian Gath at some stage. Um, when when you do, if you if you can uh, ask him about the rivalry that he had with Ted Demler in the, the later years of the showgrounds before moving across to Mooney Valley. It was uh, it was something that got the crowds out to the showgrounds. 
yeah, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? The two the rivalry between two drivers got the general interest of the public and almost made the back page of the paper. Like when you say it like that, it's hard to fathom in harness racing these days what that what would have been like if that makes sense. Yeah, you're you're right that it that it got the back page of the uh, the paper. It was the lead sporting story. How um how the battle for the drivers' premiership was going to uh, <laughs> unfold on the on one of the nights at the showgrounds. But um, yeah, the back page of the, the Herald Sun regularly had hardest racing stories on it. So it uh, it it really was a great uh, a great time when we we were part of a um, a sport that was really really flourishing crowd wise. Mind mind you, um, it's it's. It's just something that has evolved the uh, the lack of crowds at the at the uh, the gambling sports. Um, mm. Horse racing is uh, suffering as well, except for its major days. Um, so it's not just harness racing that uh, that doesn't attract the crowds now. Now on track, um, people people's eyeballs are on the harness racing, but they're at home watching on their television, um, on their computers rather than uh, being at the track. So it, 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 it is just a different world. Rob, I thank you for coming on, mate. I'll let you go off and uh, play around the golf. It might be uh, with an umbrella out above your head or it might be wholly and solely staged uh, on the 19th hole today. I'm not sure, mate. But uh, thanks for coming on and great to go back in time. And I'm sure this will be going to be very popular uh, listening to a lot of listeners and uh, to be podcasted out as well. So thank you very much for coming on, Rob. Thanks a lot for having me, Toby. Catch up with you. There, Rob Malloy. Thanks again, Rob. Now, Miles Fitzner has just thrown his head into the studio. Race one at Bendigo, number three, Tasman Park to beat the seven. He said, small, small, small. So he's keen on the three, Tasman Park. For those that are listening, the big fellas and the types that want to have a quick bet at Bendigo in the first. Miles Fitzner, David Taggart up after one o'clock. Let's get to a break into the news and then B Gath on the other side. Welcome back to Trot's Life. And I'm now joined by a legend of the sport, Brian Gathen. I believe you're in the jogger, Brian. After all these years, you're still jogging horses and taking uh, interviews. Mate, thanks for coming on, and how are you today, Brian? I'm fine, thank you. I've got horses all around me, but they're going all right. They're travelling good. (laughs) They they are, mate. Now, I'm doing a bit of a show where we're going back to the opening meeting at Mooney Valley, which was on October 30 in 1976, and... We could talk to you for probably about three days about your career, but we might try and just zero in on that opening meeting at Mooney Valley. But first and foremost, maybe a little bit about driving at the showgrounds prior, Brian. Well, yeah, the showgrounds was pretty exciting. No no doubt about it. It was a um, great atmosphere. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it because, uh, you know, I think I... I think I was a premiership driver there the last two seasons. and that, But when we moved to Mooney Valley, it was just like a different era. It was just, oh, so classy, and everyone was that happy to be in a facility as beautiful as Mooney Valley. And uh, and I was a leading driver the first year there, too. So I got a lot of memories to think back on yeah. Mooney Valley and to... And, and to win on opening night was sensational. 
tell us about, we had Rob Malloy, a bookmaker, on uh, earlier, and he talked about your rivalry with Teddy Demler, and it was literally back page news, this rivalry between Brian Gath and Teddy Demler. Tell us a bit about that. Well, it was, and it wasn't, because Teddy and I were grew up about the same age and were very good friends. He he used to stay at my place sometimes. I used, I think I stayed at Teddy's mum and dad's place one time. We we all were great friends and and we both had fairly successful careers. And uh, he was the other side of town to me, mm. and and we raced together so many times and we and we fight out premierships in the country clubs and you know the showgrounds and that and. It was a great rivalry, but we were always very good friends and still are. Still still very good friends with, with Teddy. He's probably one of the genuine people in the game that you could, you know, you, he, his word was his bond, and I've I got a lot of respect for Teddy. Good friend. Take us back to some of the great memories of the showgrounds, and I know, well, I would have thought winning the very last Hunter Cup there on Truett Armour would be fairly high up. Oh, yeah, it was sensational because um, it was only a fluke. I got the drive on him because um, Kevin Robertson got suspended in, in one of the heats of the Hunter Cup and uh, those days there was no stay of proceedings or anything and uh, mm. they put the final field up after the last heat and they had all the horses that made the final plus the, plus the drivers. And the young boy that worked for me, he was up there looking at the fields in the secretary office and, and they had it pinned on the outside of the office, everyone to see. And he just put a line through Kevin Robertson knowing that he was suspended and he just wrote B gas there, like just, just for fun. Mm-hmm. And then the harness racing board accept, seemed to accept it and I come out in the paper, B gas, Kuhn Arma. So I, that's how I got the drive on him. <laughs> that was a fluke and getting him away was even a... But getting him away from the barrier was another fluke because he wasn't a very good beginner. And I drew the outside on the outside and I had his head over the fence waiting for the others to come up. And there were two nice ladies patting him. And they said, we better let you go. I said, no, no, stay here. Keep patting him. Keep his mind off the barrier. And the barrier went. I just turned his head and he stepped to the front. And that was it. He won. So I've got to thank those two ladies after all those years and thank my, my boy at work for me. Brian Tawar for putting my name down, BKF. So it was a bit of a fluke, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a bit of a fluke. And all it's amazing in life how so many I, I, things yeah. have to happen. Yeah. So many things have to happen in life for everything to align well, and work, yeah. don't they? Yeah. I had out in the, in the middle of the track at the showgrounds, and I thank Kevin Robertson for giving me the drive. And he said, oh, look, I'm glad I had you. But he said, I never engaged. He said, Mr. Ogden must have. And then I went over to <laughs> Harry Ogden and thanked him. And he said, I didn't. I just read it in the paper. So <laughs> 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 it never happen again, will it? Oh, it might. It might, Brian. These things, they come about every so often, don't they? they and history tends to repeat yeah. itself, they say. Very busy week, Gary. Well, I hope it does for me. <laughs> so that... That changed to Mooney Valley, and we heard from Rob, there was so much excitement, and, and you touched on it as well, the, to move to such a more professional establishment. Was it in your in your front of your mind that you might have to drive a bit differently out of Mooney Valley to what you did at the showgrounds, being a bigger track? Yeah. 
most definitely you had to resort to being patient. You had to, be, you know, you couldn't be an aggressive early like you had to be at the showgrounds. You had, you had more time to settle down, take your time, and move into the race when your horse was well balanced and ready to go. You know, yeah, no, it was it was a different transition. You know, but when we moved to Mooney Valley, like it was that everyone was that proud to have a runner. You used to notice that all the trainers and drivers used to wear come to the trot with their suits and everything gone. It was just so special to be there, you know what I mean? Mm. The showgrounds, everyone dressed pretty casual, but not when you went to Mooney Valley. And that first night, yep. you, you won the main race on the night with, with Mark Avina. Uh, it was some sort of a race, Brian. It could have been a miracle mile field with horses like Paleface, Adios, Pure Steel, Don't Retreat, Roma, Hanover. It was a who's who of harness racing that race. It was it was a grand circuit race type yes. field and you won that opening night, the inaugural Mooney Valley Cup. Yeah, it shows what a great little pony he was to beat those horses. Mm. Pure Steel was probably the best horse in at that particular era, but we met eight times and Mark Avina beat him six out of the eight because he used to be able to get the trail up on him. Uh, he was an out-and-out stayer, but he couldn't hold off Mark Avina's high speed at the finish. You know, he used to just blouse him on the line. I felt a bit sorry for him because he was doing all the work and Marky would take it off him on the line. But uh, no, that that was a sensational field. You know, Paleface, Addis, Don't Retreat, Mark Avina. Oh, it just was a great era. Did, did you lead or do you remember the race itself? Did you lead or were you back in the field? Uh, I, I think I was last and I think I got a free wide trail on, on Pure Steel and I just stayed on his back. I think we ran home and last half in 56 and we were three, three and four deep the last round the home turn and we still got home in 56 and, uh, yeah, no, I was last into the state, I think. But he, he did that pretty often. He was just a great sprinting horse. So you got to double that night and the affinity with Mooney Valley in those initial few years was quite amazing, wasn't it? To go on then and it was you and it was Mark Avina again to win the inaugural 1978 into Dominion or the first one run at Mooney Valley and that must have been another special occasion. Well, it was the best. You know, it was the most, that was the ultimate of being in the game. That was the race that I was praying that I might get a chance to win in it because Dad run second in it, I think, a couple of times, and my uncles and my brothers, but none of them were lucky enough to get over the line. And, geez, I, I, you know, I worked hard on Mark Avina to have him somewhere near us for that race, I tell you. You'd won two heats of it going yeah. in, I think, from memory, and ran a fifth, and you had a sticky barrier, barrier four. You mean for the final? Yeah, for the final. I think you drew barrier Yeah, four. but I think there was a scratch in it. Yeah. Yeah, come out at three, but it wouldn't matter uh, where he drew. I was always going to go back because he he, he was he was no good if you used him early because if he got to the front, he, he didn't like being in front. He sort of like he wanted to be chasing. He loved to chase and chase and get past them, but in front he didn't have the same feel to him. But uh, now I, I I I was lucky enough to lob into a, a sort of nice spot that one out two back and. I, I wasn't for. I was always going to have to come out. Whatever time they moved up, I'd have. I was, he was that fit and well, and he was the best horse in the series, I thought. And uh, I was always going to have to come out three deep at the ballast up, and I was just praying I didn't have to come out to later than that. So when they didn't have to come out to down the back, he just he just cruised up there, and I never let him go. I just held him together till he hit the front, and then he 
wants to switch off, had to be very careful not to go to the front too early because the only way he'd get beat, he'd, he'd cruise to the front and then he would just say, well, my job's done and start looking around and pull up. So, But he he he, uh, he he won very well. He's a good horse, great horse. That, that feeling, sitting and coming back to scale yeah. in front of 20-plus thousand people, like we'll just never experience that, I can't imagine, in harness racing again. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah, all I want to get get back and, and, and my family was there, <coughs> mum and dad and uh, Denise and Kylie and everyone. It just this was a great feeling, you know, just to think that we finally won it. It was beautiful. And that was the best night Mooney Valley's ever had, that, 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 that Inter-Minion night. That was the biggest crowd and the most exciting night to ever been there. I'm sure it certainly was to you too, Brian. Yeah. A lot, a lot of wins you had there over many, yeah, many years. Yeah, it was. It wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah. A lot, a lot of wins over yeah, many, many years. I'm not sure how many. Yeah, I'm not sure how many. Not sure. Hey. I remember one time they gave me a, a placard. I think something that come into the Mooney Valley one night and gave me a placard. I, I drove 300 winners there. And they gave me a placard and I put it up in the stable wall. And after a few years, I drove 500 winners there. I had to put a line through it and ride 500 on the top of it. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of wins. Yeah, a lot of wins. <laughs> Brian, we thank you so much, mate, for coming on the show and reliving a few memories of uh, Mooney Valley and everything that took place and winning the last Hunter Cup at the showgrounds and then the, the inaugural running of the Mooney Valley Cup. Uh, we thank you so much. I know you're busy there with the horses. Sounds like the jog team has finished. Uh, and we just uh, lost him there. He's just dropped off the line. So, Brian, thank you ever so much for coming on the show, mate. Uh, absolutely fantastic. We've only got a few minutes left. We've got to get to an ad break here. Uh, great memories of Mooney Valley. We just saw your text too, Mick. Sorry, I didn't get to ask him about Franco Ice. And Miles did go bang in the first at uh, Bendigo getting that winner. So we thank Miles for that winner as well. Let's get to a break. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Oh, it's great to catch up with legends like Brian Gath. And we have to win this industry. We have to honour the past and love. It's a privilege to be in a position to honour the past as such. Tomorrow, it's a newish show. I'm calling it Moving Day on Trot's Life. Your Thursday edition will be Toby McKinnon. Tim O'Connor will join me. Mick Gurren will join me. Jamie Cockshut will join me. Noel Watson will be on as well. It's going to be Moving Day tomorrow on Trot's Life.